Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. You may be seated. The Lord bless you this morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And this is the church of Laodicea. Now, just to get everybody thinking again, the reason why I felt the Lord deal with me to teach on the seven churches of Revelation is because of Bible prophecy that is being shouted to us by the kingdom of God. The seven churches of Revelation represent different churches, but it also represents different Christians throughout the age of the kingdom of God. But this church, the church of Laodicea, I was telling the guys in the back that God did not save the best for last. This is the last church. And it's called, if you look it up, it's called the disgusting church. It's called the lukewarm church. It's called the church that made God sick. It's the only church that has nothing good said about it by the Lord. Now, we're going to do part two, and I, and, I, and I never tell you this, but part one sets up part two. You do not want to miss part two. In matter of fact, let me encourage you, if you know someone that is not serving God, bring them out next week, because the end of this, the answer to this is absolutely amazing. Now, these seven churches are churches of antiquity. They were written 2,000 years ago. But if you look at the scholars, the commentators on the church of Laodicea, the number seven in Hebrew is the number of completion. And so many of the scholars, and I agree, say that Laodicea is a description of the church at the second coming of the Lord, right before the rapture. And when you hear what God has to say about it, you'll look at that and say, you know what, in a lot of ways, this really is the church of Jesus Christ around the world. Now, I'm going to say this, it's not our church. It is, and and you're going to understand why I say that, Uh, As we go on, but this is not our church, but it is, I think, a fair description of most of what the church is in America, in Europe, around the world. So let's read the seventh church, the church of Laodicea, the church that makes God sick. Read with me in Revelation chapter three, starting with verse 14. You know what I need to turn there. I was showing the guy something else in the back. The church that makes God sick. Revelations 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. You are neither hot, cold, nor hot. And I would wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve 
that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke. In other words, here's, here's the Lord saying, these are probably the harshest words that God speaks to anyone in the Bible. And yet he says these words, which is amazing. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. So God is saying the harshest things to anyone, but he says, I'm doing this because I love you. What an amazing God we serve. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and him with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now, we're going to start with verse 14, but before I do that, I want to say this. And I was going to, I had full intention of opening in prayer till I realized we were going to pray for little Charlie. And I was going to have us open and pray for our nation. Because our nation is sick. If you don't think so, then go to the gas pump. If you don't think so, look at the decisions that are being made at our border. We need to understand that we need God to either heal our nation or remove the leaders that are in our nation so that we can have a nation that repents and returns to God. Now, that statement is going to make more sense as we get into this. But let me just say this. I voted. It's not my fault. Let's look at verse 14. Look, look what the Lord says to the last church, the church that represents the coming of the Messiah. These things says the amen, the faithful, and the true witness. The word amen, we, we use the word amen all the time. It, you know, after a prayer, we say amen. Or if the pastor says something that we enjoy, we say amen. But the word amen means so be it. So be it. We all need to serve God. America needs revival. That's what amen means. Now, the word faithful in Hebrew is the word imnuha. And it means a faithfulness. You can count on this. You can take this to the bank. The true witness in Hebrew is the word hamin, which means absolutely trustworthy. So when we say amen, what the Lord is saying here, it's a very Hebrew understanding. Like when we say amen at the end of a prayer, it's not just that we agree with this, but we agree individually to act upon what's being said. Come on. Come on. That's what that means. So if we say we ought to tithe, Amen. that means you'll act upon that. If we say we ought to love one another, Amen. say Amen. Amen. That means we act upon it. So when the Lord says this, and he starts off with, and, I, and I'm, I, I could teach on this just one part. The Hebrew understanding of this one part, I could teach on for a month. But we've got more important things. Let me say it simply. When God says, I am the amen, I am the emnuah, I am the true witness, he said, you can count on this. You can take to the bank what I'm saying is true right now. Amen. See, he, he's speaking this to people who understood the Jewish roots of our faith. He said, what I'm about to tell you, you can understand this fully. I will act upon what I'm about to say. That's a powerful statement. Look at down at verse 16 or verse 15 and 16. He says, you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. 
Now, this is why a lot of commentaries say they label this teaching the church that makes God sick. You know, I, I, I can guarantee you that as a Christian, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, uh, I don't do everything right. But m- my greatest fear is I make God sick. Now, I have to say this, and I don't believe this is our church, but I believe we need to look at this not only as a church, but as individuals. In the way you serve God, do you make God sick? Good night, everybody. Don't forget to tip the waiters. Now, understand, this is the last church. And this is a church that God said something that we need to really look at. He said, you are neither hot nor cold. You're neither hot nor cold. He said, I know your works. And, and I think that's important that we see this in almost every time the Lord speaks to the church. He says, I know your works. In other words, we can't get lost in the crowd. God knows the works of this church, this ministry, what we do or we don't do. God knows the works of us as an individual, what we do or we don't do. Not what we say, not what we are on Sunday, but he sees us. He says, as a matter of fact, I've seen everything since the creation of the world. And I think that's real sobering that he sees us on Monday. He sees us on Tuesday. He sees us on Wednesday. And he sees not how we act on Sunday, but he sees us every day. He says, I know your works. Now, once again, the church, but an individual. He knows my works. And he says, you are neither hot nor cold. Now, here's the most important part of the beginning of this teaching. Now, let me ruin it all by saying next week is the answer. And it's an amazing answer. And I didn't find anybody. I I read all my books. I go to the website. You don't see the answer unless you read it in the eyes of a Jewish Messiah. But he says here, this is the most important part. I wish that you were either hot or cold. Now, I've got to be honest that in all the years that... um, I've heard messages and I've taught messages about being lukewarm. It's never really made sense when he said, I wish that you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, you make me sick. Now, there was a spring about six miles outside of the city And it was a hot spring. People would go there and it was a mineral spring and they would bathe in it and it was good for their health and is good for their body and good for healing. And so they tried to pipe this water into the city about six miles away. And what most scholars say is by the time that water got to the city it had traveled six miles through pipe, and when it got there, it was no longer hot. It was lukewarm. And it actually would make people sick because of the lukewarmness and the minerals in it. It would actually make people sick. So we can understand that. And what I've always taught and what I've always thought was that God is talking about, I wish that you were hot. I wish that you were on fire for God. I wish that you had a fervency for the kingdom of God. And I believe that. We ought to be on fire and not lukewarm. Amen? We ought to not be going through the motions. We ought to be as excited about the kingdom of God today as we were when we first got saved. We ought to be serving him as fervently. We ought to be praying and studying the word of God and witnessing and on fire for God. I believe that the closer we get to the rapture, I believe the more we need to see that. So that part always made sense. But then he said, I would rather you be cold. And I came up with something and, you know, and, and it, it fit back then. But I would rather you be cold. In other words, I would rather you not be a Christian, 
than be a bad example of a Christian. I would rather you not know the Lord than people around you think you know the Lord and your lifestyle shows a bad example. And so that worked a little bit until you read down a little further and you see what the answer is. So when you're reading this and the Lord says, you're neither hot nor you're cold and I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, I'm not going to give you the answer yet, but I'm going to set you up for the answer. And he said, I would that you be hot or that you be cold. Now, when you study this and you're going to see how this plays out, hot means the mineral water, the healing water. Cold means refreshing, something that can quench the thirst. But he's saying you neither quench the thirst of people or you, never, or you neither bring the healing of God to people. You don't do anything. You are good, and not you, the person next to you. He says to the church of Laodicea, you're not cold, you're not refreshing, you're not bringing life, you're not quenching the thirst, you're not hot, you're not full of healing and anointing and power, you're lukewarm. In other words, he's saying to the church of Laodicea, you're good for nothing. You're just gathering together, doing nothing, singing kumbaya. And God says, that makes me sick. Now, that seems a little harsh until we get to the answer of that. But do you see what he's saying there? He said, I would that you were hot. On fire for God, yes, but on that fire, you're bringing healing, you're bringing anointing, you're changing people's lives. You're cold, you're refreshing, you're a, you're a drink of cold water to a world that's thirsty, but you're lukewarm. You know, I don't know about you, but I love milk. And that's the only thing I could think of for an illustration. Um, r- right now, our refrigerator's on the fritz. And there's nothing more that I love than if in the morning while the coffee's being made is get me a big cold glass of milk. But when you reach in and you're going for that cold glass of milk and the refrigerator's on the fritz, you go. (laughs) This is the church of Laodicea. People walk in. They need healing. They need refreshing. They need, and they get nothing. And God says to me, and, and I know this sounds harsh, but I didn't write the book. God says to me, that is disgusting. See, why are we the church? Why are we to be fed the word of God? The church must have a purpose. It's not just a gather. If, if we don't, as a church, if we don't have a purpose, in Hebrew it's called tikkun olam, heal a broken world. If we don't have a purpose as a church, if we don't have a purpose as an individual, if I don't have a purpose as a pastor, then I'm good for nothing. I'm just a social gathering where we sing religious songs and we act religious, but we're actually not accomplishing anything. The church needs to be changing the world in a whole, in a big picture, one person at a time, wherever you go, tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where you go to work, you need to bring the presence of God at work. When you pray over your meal, you need to pray over your meal. We need to be people that are actually making a difference or we're really good for nothing. The Bible talks about, Jesus talked about that. He said to the church, and he said to me, and he said to you, you're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, it's good for what? It's good for nothing. 
if we think, well, we're really doing God a favor by singing songs and worshiping him, folks, we can't even, as great as our worship is, as great as every, all the worship in the world is, it doesn't compare with the angels of heaven giving him praise and falling before his knees. We need to do that, yes, and thank God we got a wonderful worship team that leads us in that. But we need to get up out of here and go make a difference in the world. You know, every year we go into what's called Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And we have 40 days leading into Yom Kippur. And the the reason for that is that we blow the shofar for 40 days and it's a burn, wake up. And what we're waking up to is one is, is the Messiah coming and two is... If he doesn't come this year, is the world a better place today than it was this time last year because of you? Let me say that again. Is the world a better place today than it was this time last year because of you? Well, let me say on your behalf, and you may not even realize it. Yes, it is. Just give you a small thing. You feed 50,000 meals to children in Africa every month. You have an orphanages in Haiti and feeding programs in Haiti and Dominion Republic and uh, um, uh, Cuba for children. You have sent in the last month three quarters of a million dollars to rescue lives out of Ukraine. So yes, it is. And you know what? That's why the Bible says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to sleep, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God, where can I make a difference? Well, you can make a difference at new beginnings because we have a mission to change lives one at a time and change the world whenever God gives us that opportunity. Somebody say amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're not the church of Laodicea. Now watch this. This gets really, really interesting. Here the Lord says, because you're lukewarm, I will spew you. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Then we get to verse 17 and he tells us why. Say, pastor, how do you know he tells us why? Because the first words in verse 17 is because. In Dallas, we call that. So he says, now watch this, because this is, this is the last church. This is, this is the world today. This is the church world today. You know, we say, oh man, the world's messed up. Well, I, I got to tell you, the church world's messed up. In a lot of ways. Not everybody, but in a lot of ways. He says, I will spew you out of my mouth. I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? This makes me worry about the church. This makes me worry about our country. Let's put our country here. We are the greatest nation in the world because our founding fathers knew, in fact, we we have it on our dollar bill, in God we trust. Now, I'm going to say this. I didn't vote for these guys that are in office today. They're doing everything they can to take God and God's laws out of America. I didn't vote for him. If you did, at the end of this, it says repent. And come November, you need to repent. Because we can get our country back again. We can get our nation back again. Amen. He says, because you say I am rich... 
When I went to school, we would stand up every morning. I don't know if you, you guys ever did this. We'd stand up every morning. What am I going to say? We put our hands over our heart, and I said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. We are one nation under God. Under God. That is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What makes this nation great is that God has made this nation great. You remove God from the nation. You remove God from your life. You remove God from your family. You remove God from your business. And that anointing that brings the blessing will leave. It will leave. He says, you say you are rich and you need nothing. Americans ought to be able to travel to third world nations and see how other people live. And you would get on your knees and say, please, Lord, do not take your anointing away from our nation. Please, Lord, don't do it. Please, God, continue to bless us. When Israel went into Babylonian captivity, they went into Babylonian captivity because of this attitude. They said, you know what? Our, our flocks are growing, our vineyards are growing, our businesses are growing, our enemies are defeated. We don't need God anymore. And God said, okay. And the moment he pulled his anointing and divine protection away, the Babylonians came in and brought them captive. We are this close. You need to understand, this is a prophetic word. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Whatever happens in this world, as long as we keep doing what God wants us to do, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And we are going to have divine protection like we taught last week. We're going to have diplomatic immunity. God will seal us with his name. As a matter of fact, God is getting ready to give all of us a secret new name. Remember, we talked about that last week, but we need to understand that you can be in the body of Christ and not being used in the body of Christ and you become useless. This is a warning to the church and to us as an individual that we do not become lukewarm. The Laodicean said these words. Let me read it again. Said, we are rich and we have need of nothing. And God says, now this is a bad illustration, but it just popped into my mind. God says, you think you're rich? You're naked and miserable. Remember that, that story of Hans Christian Andersen, the uh, emperor's clothes, the emperor's new clothes? Do y'all, do y'all remember? How many don't know what that is? Okay, the emperor's new clothes is a story that Hans Christian Andersen wrote that these two con artists, Biden and Nancy Pelosi, no, no. <laughs> Forgive me. Huh? Just said we could feel it coming. (laughs) They come in and they pretend that they are to the king, the emperor, that they are these. I forget. (laughs) Don't send me letters. Don't. (laughs) They pretend to the emperor that they they weave magical clothes, the best there are, and but to ignorant stupid people, the clothes are invisible. And so the emperor hires them and he goes in and they're weaving and everything, but he doesn't see anything on the weaves. And, but he doesn't want to admit it. He doesn't want to admit that gas is five fifty a gallon. <laughs> still believe it's okay. And so he goes, oh, those look beautiful. And so they bring him out and they said, oh, the garments are are finished. And they 
They pretend they're dressing him. And of course, only stupid and ignorant people don't see the clothes. And so he, uh, he, he, they go, oh, and, and all the other people around, oh, yes, oh, that's marvelous. That's marvelous. It's kind of like hearing on the news that the economy has never been stronger. Come on, man. The guy's naked. And so the emperor walks through the town naked. But everybody, nobody wants to admit because then it makes them look stupid. And so they're all going, oh, beautiful, amazing. Until a child shouts out, the emperor's naked. And I thought of that out of the mouths of babes comes the wisdom and we need to understand that we may right now look like we're beautifully dressed as a nation or as the church world or whatever because we don't have any needs but let what's happening in ukraine let what happened in afghanistan let what's happening around the middle east shout to us we may look like we're clothed but unless we have the spirit of god clothing us we are naked and miserable because it can be gone in a minute it's a warning to us it's a warning to us let me ask you this why does god ask us to give here the, here is the worst church in history and they're rich we're going to see next week why they're rich which ties in with the answer but they're rich and so when they're rich they're saying we need nothing what they're saying is we got so much money coming in we don't need the anointing of god we don't need the presence of god we don't need the Spirit of God. Let, let, I'm going to ruin next week, but I'm, I'm going to give you a taste of it. The end of this, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. In other words, he's not in the church. He's outside. The church is gathered. They're singing Kumbaya. They got a lot of money. And thank God. And, and, and let, me, let me throw this in. Nothing wrong. You're going to see this in, in the answer next week. But let me throw this in. There's nothing wrong with money. Oh, come on. I need a better amen than that. There's nothing wrong with money. Matter of fact, we need you to have more money. Say amen. You know what it means. So be it. Right? So be it. God says, beloved, I would above all things, above all things, all things, that you prosper and be in health. How many believe God wants that little baby Charlie healed? 100%. You believe that? The same God that heals that baby, and I'm going to tell you something, that baby's going to be fine. That same God that heals that baby is the same God that said, I want you to have money. Amen? Amen. But the Bible says there is a wealth that comes from the Lord and brings no sorrow with it. See, they forgot. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to take time to read that. I was just going to say it, but I'm going to take time to read it. You need to understand that money is not a bad thing. Money is, if money was a bad thing, God would not say give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, overflowing. Right? Now look at me. Look at me. Why does God want us to give? He doesn't need our money. Now this, is, this all leads up to a, a, an amazing answer. Why does God want us to give? Why does God say pay your tithes? Why does God say three times a year you come before the Lord and you don't come empty handed? Why does God say that? Because the danger is that when we are living in abundance, we turn money into the God of mammon and we say, God, you know, you know what? When, when they close the jail cell door, oh God, please. When they get the bills, oh God, please. But when everything's going good, 
We have the danger of being the church of Laodicea and say we have no need of anything. We don't need the anointing of God. We don't need the spirit of God. This is not a teaching saying that money is bad. Money is not a, if money, I I know I've said this before and it's so corny. If money is bad, Satan would be in the church parking lot passing it out. But by us giving, it keeps us to understand that it is he who is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And therefore, we don't make our wealth, we don't make our money, we don't make our riches as the church of Laodicea did into an idol. Read, I was just going to paraphrase this. Read, this is one of the most important scriptures. And you don't think about this. In ancient Hebrew, there's no word for what? Coincidence. Coincidence. We are right now in day 29, I believe, of counting the Omer. I didn't last year sit with the staff and go, okay, now right before we get to Shavuot, Pentecost, I'm going to teach on the seventh church. And we planned this out. It just... It just happens by the coincidence of God. Pentecost Shavuot is the time that God opens the windows of heaven and pours out your finances for the year. So understanding this, it's not a coincidence that we're getting ready to see the greatest. I believe, I believe, yes, signs of wonders, miracles, but I believe also End time transfer of wealth, the wealth of the wicked being put in the hands of the right. A time for you to begin to experience great prosperity. You know what that means? So be it. Okay, so here's the warning. The warning is not when the bills aren't paid or the greatest testing is not when you're in need. The greatest testing is when you have need of nothing. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Is anybody hearing the prophecy of this? Anybody hearing this? Read Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 8, verse 6. Therefore, it, 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 I'm going to read the whole thing. I was just going to paraphrase it, but it's so important because I really believe that... The end time transfer of wealth is now. It's now. Jobs, raises, bonuses. Now listen to this. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and fear him, respect him, be in awe of him. For the Lord your God is is bringing you. Everybody say is. is. He is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. Now understand, they're coming out of 40 years of the desert. This is a prophecy. I believe we're coming out of two years of desert. And we're getting into, we're we're getting ready to go. We don't have to wait two more years. We're getting into a time that God is going to use you. If in two years, can I prophesy over you? In two years, we're going to see a change at the White House. And that change is going to bring great prosperity to America. But you and I do not have to wait two two years. God wants to use you as an example now. Somebody say now. Now prosperity come. It'd be one thing if everybody's prospering when gas is back down to a buck 50 and all the jobs, the economy and all the COVID nonsense is gone. But when you when you get the prosperity of God now, now, then all the world's going to call you blessed. Do you understand? So what's going to happen in two years is going to start now. Then in two years, it's just going to explode. Now, let me tell you something. This is not just, oh, just sit back and be proud. Next week, I'm going to show you an amazing Jewish roots understanding of this. But let's read it. Let's read it. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, of pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. We're living in a nation that can't get baby formula what in the world 
I voted. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, when you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. When you have eaten and are full. Let me just throw a little side teaching in there. How many know before you eat, you say grace? Do you know the most important prayer is after you eat? It's one thing to pray when you're hungry. It's another thing. Look what he says. Look what he says here. When you have eaten and are full, you don't need anything now. Then you shall bless the Lord your God. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Hear my prophetic word. When you are blessed, do not forget to give him all the praise and all the glory. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. This is a prophetic word. The church of Laodicea said, we got plenty. We don't need anything anymore. And God's outside the door. It's a warning because we are about to go into the blessing of God. But God loves you enough to stop that blessing if you stop blessing him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you are, have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you. The, ch- the church of Laodicea, they're, they're blessed. They're rich. They, 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 they got it all. They just quit obeying God. Look what it says. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses. Think of America. Think of America. You have built beautiful houses and you dwell in them. You're not building them for somebody else. You're building beautiful. Come on, ladies. I'm prophesying on you. We're the lender, not the borrowers. Is anybody receiving this? And when your herds, your flocks multiply, that's your jobs, your businesses, your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I have seen so many people over the years in our churches, Tiz and I have, that come in off the streets, come in homeless, come in this, come in that, and they hear the teaching of the Lord. They do what we're telling them to do. They hear what we're saying, and they become, I'm thinking of one of my best friends, and has built a business. He He was a homeless junkie, drug addict gang member and built a business and it flourished and then he stopped serving the Lord. Well, you know, I'm too busy to come to church. Uh, you know, it's too long of a drive. How long of a drive was it to the soup kitchen? When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought you water for you out of the rock of Flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, miracle after miracle. You know, it, it, it. And I I know I keep repeating it, but you've got to hear this. Don't forget when you needed a miracle every Monday. Don't forget when you needed a miracle every time the bills were paid. Don't forget when you don't need those miracles anymore. Don't forget God. Is anybody hearing me? Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. 
In other words, you've seen God do miracles. You see it. There's a reason for that. At the end, you don't need your energy to see miracles. Now you use your energy to change the world with the good that God has put in your hands. Right? Then you say in your heart, my, here's the key. Here's the, here's the, here's what made God sick. Here's what made God sick. Here's the disgusting church. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Do not forget it is me that gives you power in your hands to gain wealth. The church of Laodicea, God says, you make me sick. Now, there's much deeper meaning that we're going to share next week. And it's an amazing revelation. It's, I, I, I studied, studied, studied. I didn't find anyone who came up with the answer. They came up with answers that didn't make any sense. Because you've got to read it through the eyes of a Jewish Jesus. Because Jesus is a Jew who's speaking this, right? But here God says, you make me sick. Because you think you don't need anything because you're rich. You don't need the anointing. You don't need the power of God. You don't need the presence of God. We'll always, we're rich and we'll always be rich. And God says, but I see you as naked and miserable. Do not think it is, it is you who has the power to get rich. Now, let me, t- let me close with not, dis- not just about money. It's about pride. It's about ego. You know, the Bible teaches Jesus taught in uh, uh, Matthew 19, I believe it was. And Jesus talked about it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is a rich man to get into heaven. Now, the group that I used to be with, and I love them dearly, and thank God they led me to the Lord, but they always use this as a poverty scripture. In other words, richness will keep you out of heaven. It's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle. Well, what, what the Lord is talking about is in, like in Jerusalem or in any city in those days, they built a wall around that city, not to keep the people in, but keep the bandits bandits out, the thieves out. And so come nighttime, every city had, if those of you have been to Jerusalem, you've seen the Jaffa gate, it's huge, and you can drive chariots through anything. They would close those gates. And so if you came in at nighttime, you either stayed outside in the dark where the bandits and the thieves were, or you had to go through what's called the eye of a needle. And it's a little doorway in which the camels would get down on their knees and they would walk the camels through the eye of the needle. And a rich man or a peasant had to go through the same way. And the teaching was a lot of these rich guys say, I'm not getting on my knees where the peasants go, where the camels go. I'm not getting on my knees. And that's why the Bible says it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel. Because every one of us, rich or poor, male or female, white, black, brown, pinstripe, or polka dot, we got to get on our knees and ask the Lord to forgive us and give him all the praise and all the glory. Right? It's not about, it's not about anti-wealth. It's about humility. Look at me. Pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Let, let me say it again. Pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Now, let me, let me put myself in that if I can. Uh, you know, they, in certain circles we hear, you know, a, a ministry, if a ministry starts doing well, if a ministry starts doing well, 
it'll go maybe seven years and then start coming down. And uh, that's just kind of common knowledge. It doesn't, it's not, not a set rule. It's not a biblical rule. But why is that? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with pride. I think a lot of it has to do with pride. You know, I think about our television program, and by the grace of God, totally by the grace of God, and Tis being on the program, every month our program grows, 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 grows. And when I was reading this about the church of Laodicea, I, I thought about us. You know, I had somebody say to me one time, how does it feel to be an overnight success? <laughs> you know, Tiz and I started off for the first 25 years of our ministry, just street ministry. And then when we started feeling the Lord lead us, Pastor Scott can tell you when we were in Portland, we started, we started feeling the led to take this on the airways. We started with a daily two minute radio program. And we put, we put like egg carton type of things, uh, um, uh, packaging on, uh, huh? In the closet. We were in a closet. And I'd do a two minute, hey, Jesus, love you. Two minutes. I'll tell you one of the greatest compliments I ever got. I, might, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I got a letter. Uh, 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 we got a phone call inviting me to be uh, a speaker at an all-black uh, evangelist conference in the South somewhere. And uh, they said, we heard you on the radio, and it's all-black evangelists. And, uh, and they said, send in your picture, send in your pro. We saw him, send in a picture. They called us back and said, we thought you were black. Said you got so much fire. We don't usually see white people with that much fire. I said, "Well, thank you," but I didn't get invited. But anyway, I got uninvited. Hey, hey. But we started off there, and then we were. It started doing good, and we went to three minutes. Three minutes. I mean, I, I you know. And then we went on television once, once a week. And then, and now we're on every day. So, you know, somebody said, pastor, you're on television somewhere in the world right now, whatever time it is, you're on television somewhere in the world. And you know what? You know, my greatest fear is one day God looks down and go, I didn't mean Larry Huck. I meant Harry Luck. (laughs) And God goes, no, he's the wrong guy. So I'm telling you every week that we go on television or when we come out to the privilege of teaching you, we pray, God, please give us anointing because you know what? The word kills, but the spirit of God brings life to that. And that's what the church of Laodicea said. We don't need you anymore. Our seats are full. Our television program's full. Our bank account's full. We don't need you anymore. And God said, yes, you do. Stand with me all over the building, if you would. Next week is an amazing answer to this. Let me give you a hint. The Lord says, here's what I want you to do. Now look at me. He said, I want you to go buy me gold. Buy from me, excuse me, buy from me gold from the refiner's fire. Buy from me a white robe. You know, almost every commentator I read said, oh, that's the robe of righteousness. You can't buy that robe. You can't buy righteousness. That's given as a gift. So what does he mean? Buy from me gold through the refiner's fire. Buy from me, the Lord said. Buy from me a white robe. Buy from me, I salve. The answer will bless you to your spirit. Because what an amazing God we serve. The Lord says to us as we close, 
Don't store up treasures on earth. Now listen to me. Everybody needs to have more than enough. Say amen. We were taught taught when we first got saved, if you have anything in the bank, you're not doing enough for God. That is baloney. That is baloney. God wants you to have the Bible. Matter of fact, I can counter that. Okay, because I know, oh, I don't care about money. Well, God does. God says he wants you to have enough that you leave an inheritance for your children's children. Um, I'm going over to the Presbyterians over here. God says he wants you to have enough that not only are you blessed, but you leave an inheritance for your children's children. Right? Right? So when the Lord says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, there's a great Jewish wisdom to that. There's a great, great Jewish wisdom to that. When you store up treasures in heaven, the scripture says it's not lost. It's in my vault. And what God gives, what the answer God gives will bless you to your heart, to your soul, to your spirit. It's an amazing revelation. God wants you healed. He wants you blessed. And he wants you saved. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Larry, I want to be blessed. I want to be healed. But can I tell you that begins with knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. Maybe you're here and you'd say, you know, Pastor, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. Jesus himself said, there's none righteous. No, not one. It doesn't matter if you're a big sinner or a little sinner. We're all sinners in need of grace. We're all sinners in the need of the grace of God. The wonderful thing about that is, is what you'll see next week is you can't buy that. All you have to do is ask for it. So as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. You're here and you say, Pastor Larry, would you remember me in your prayers? I want to give my life or rededicate my life to the Lord. And when you raise your hand, you're saying, Amen. Amen to receiving Jesus as my Savior. And it doesn't mean you're becoming religious. It means you begin to follow the teachings of the Lord. Because he will lead you and guide you and teach you and show you how to live your life on the journey to heaven. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up and say, Pastor, remember me in prayer and hold it up the whole time because I want to go through the whole building. Lift your hand up right now and say, Pastor, remember me in prayer and just keep it up. I see that hand, 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 that hand. I love when you raise two of them. That hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand. Keep it up. That hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand, 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 that hand. God bless you. Anybody else? Wave at me that that hand. God bless you. Give these wonderful people a big clap offering. Amen. Let's lift our hands up. Take your neighbor's hand. I know I'm, we're not a, we're we're past the COVID fear, right? If if you're still concerned about it, just spit on your hand and rub it real good, and then hold your neighbor's hand. Get it real clean there for you. Lift up your neighbor because you're we you don't look 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 around. There's white hands, brown hands, male hands, black hands, female hands, long-haired hands, no-hair hands. And all thin hands. But we're family and we're in this together. Amen. Say this out loud. Say, Father, 
I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You send Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Now, I feel like God wants me to add this. And I rededicate in these last days my heart, my life, my mind, my might, my spirit, and my soul to the kingdom of God and making the world a better place. Now, say this with authority. Satan, get out of my life. Get out of my mind. Get out of my spirit. Get out of my body. Get out of my home. Get out of my family. Get out of my finances. Get out of my future. I declare in the name and by the blood, every curse is reversed and every blessing is received. Not someday, but today. Now, in Jesus' name, shout now and give the Lord a great big clap offering of praise.